One of the interesting things uh, that I found, it was about uh, almost a decade ago when, when I started and started teaching the youth group, uh, <laughs> started teaching the youth group, the, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, I, it was probably at 12 or 13 when, when I took over from Holly. And uh, I, uh, I, keep, I keep, you know, through the years you read through it, but as I'm studying and going through it, I find it interesting. I keep going, wow, I should have known that. I never recognized that before. And so we, we know that the Lord's Word is uh, new every day, which is good. And it also helps that my memory isn't that great either. So, uh, so it, it works both ways. So, uh, starting in Genesis uh, 17, uh, just to bring you up to speed on what happened uh, from before. Uh, so, uh, Abraham had uh, been promised a son in, in 15, and uh, before that he had uh, won from the kings, uh, the wars from the kings, and then uh, 16, uh, Hagar, uh, or Sarai, had given Hagar, uh, her mistress, to uh, Adam to, to have a son, which they did. Ishmael uh, is now around, and so uh, by this time, uh, 13 years has passed, and uh, the Lord begins to speak to a uh, a Abram here in 17.1. So, uh, starting in verse 1 then, now... Abram was 99 years, uh, 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Lord God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will establish my covenant between me, uh, me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God uh, fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make the nations, uh, uh, I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and uh, your descendants after you and throughout the generations an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to the descendants after you. And I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings and all the land of Cana for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So uh, there it's kind of interesting in uh, back in one so like i said 13 years has passed and now the lord appeared uh, to abram and said to him uh, i am god almighty so uh this is the this is the first time that god is giving himself a name to to abraham or to abram and so th this is translated uh God Almighty is uh, El Shaddai. You guys have probably probably heard that term before, but if they were going to say it in the Greek, it would be El Shaddai. So, I am. Uh, you'll see that later when he talks to Moses and God Almighty. So it's the first time uh, God declares Himself like that, and so so that's that's kind of interesting. And so the other thing is that he says, uh, you will walk before me and you will be blameless. And so the interesting thing about that is uh, before him, Noah and uh, um, uh, Elisha, they say he, they walked with God. So they were walking with God. God. And God tells him, you are going to walk before me. So there's kind of an inference uh, just that there that um, God will see everything 
that Abram does. If somebody's walking before you, you see everything that they do. So uh, I, I don't know, it seemed to me like just in the verbiage that uh, God's going to be watching uh, Abram and not to catch him in a bad moment, but he's going to be watching what he does with his life. And to be blameless then is uh, not necessarily, uh, the, the wording there, how it translates, is to be single-hearted or single-minded, where he's going to be blameless in following God. He's not going to be blameless in actually application, like he's never going to sin, but his heart is singly focused on following the Lord. So that's super important because uh, you don't want to get in, in, into the thought that you know they're saying this about Abram and he did everything right. Just kind of like King David, he made a lot of mistakes and God still calls him a man after his own heart. So that's what, that's what uh, Abr- uh, God is saying to Abram. You're going to walk before me singly minded towards serving me. And then he says in verse 2, I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And so as you go forward, it's interesting. It says uh, nine times in this, it, just in this chapter that uh, God is talking about his covenant, my covenant with you. And so if this is not the first time that Abram has heard this, but God is coming to him again and reminding him. Because remember back in chapter 15, he declared it to him that he was going to have this covenant with him. So after this long period of time, he's coming back and reminding him of what he's already done. This is the same covenant he's talking, talked about before, but he continues to remind Abram. And that, uh, so he's establishing his covenant, he's going to multiply him. And so then in verse 3, Abram falls on his face. Uh, so he's, he's worshiping God. This is, you know, he's uh, prostate, uh, prostrate, <laughs> prostrate, that's something else. He's prostrate on the ground worshiping God. <laughs> wow, I can't believe that was interesting. Uh, he, so he's worshiping God. And, he's, and God talked with him. So in this place of worship, you could even call it prayer, I suppose, that Abram is, is worshiping God and they're talking together. And God says, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you will be the, uh, a father of a multitude of, na- uh, a multitude of nations. Again, God continues to remind him. And he says, you will no longer be called Abram, but you will be called Abraham. So the, the name Abraham, Abram means uh, exalted father. Abraham means that he will be the father of a multitude. So uh, he changes his name to match the covenant that he's that he's got that God's got going with him. And so we see already that God has said, "I am," and uh, God Almighty, which is El Shaddai. We see Abram go from. Abram, Abram to Abraham, and we're going to see Sarai's name changed a little bit further down in the passage, but this is to show that God is aligning people's names with who they are and what they're supposed to be in this particular, particular section of Scripture. It's pretty cool how he does that. And he reminds him again, I have made you the father of many nations. And what's interesting to me uh, that uh, I have made you, it will almost seem like that's in the past, right? The, the, the tense in English is actually, I have made you like I already did this. It's interesting because he doesn't have any kids yet, 
but it is in the past. He already made this covenant. He's making this covenant now. It's going to happen. So it's kind of cool that God says, I'm doing this going forward, but since I've spoken it, since I've promised it to you, I have already done this. And so going forward, God is just using that to assure Abraham that he's going to do what he set out to do in this covenant with Abraham. So I thought the language there was pretty cool. And he says, I'm going to make you exceedingly fruitful, and you... uh, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me uh, and you and your, your descendants and throughout all the generations uh, for an everlasting covenant to be your God and to be the God of uh, the, your descendants after you. So God is reminding him, you're going to have all these people, but he's being specific about all your descendants. I'm going to have this covenant with all your descendants. And that continues on to this day because we know that God is still the God of uh, the Israelites. You know, He's still the God of the Jews. So this covenant still remains to this, to this day. And again, in verse 8, He reminds them that He's going to give them the land of Cana for an everlasting possession. And you'll see again, as the Bible goes on in Revelation, that that uh, play, uh, that pl- you know, it was going to play out in the future. So then, starting again in verse 9, so, so until that time, God is telling uh, Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. That's what God's saying. So now he shifts, God shifts, and he starts talking about, this is what you're going to do, Abraham. So uh, in verse 9, he says, God said further to Abraham, now as for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised through your generations." A servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money from any foreigner uh, who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house who is bought with your money shall, be, uh, shall surely, be, surely be circumcised. This shall be my covenant. Uh, so thus shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So, uh, remember in, in, fifth, in chapter 15 that Abraham already declared that he had faith in God and God declared him that he had righteousness because of that faith. Now he's asking Abraham to go forward and make a sign of this covenant that he's already obtained through his belief in Jesus Christ. So, um, uh, this, is, this, would be, this would be the physical act. This would be the same as you uh, now confessing Jesus as Lord and then going to the waters of baptism. Uh, except baptism probably is a little bit easier. So, uh, this is the same sort of thing that we have. And, and it's also... Um, uh, Interest, uh, it's, it's good to know that this is not uh, uh, something for salvation, just like baptism. They don't have salvation with God because they have circumcision. They're having circumcision because God has made a covenant with them and they're declaring the covenant, not their salvation. And so uh, he says uh, 
that every male among you shall be circumcised. And uh, it's, it's interesting because uh, the flesh of your foreskin, and this will be a covenant between me and you. And the reason for this is obviously he's talking about generational lines. He's talking about uh, Abraham, you're going to have your, from your seed and your wife is going to come. So the, the, the organ that produces children is going to have the mark of the covenant on it. That, that just kind of makes sense. So it seems makes, you know, medical for us today, but it, it may seem strange when you don't think about it, but when you do, that makes all the sense in the world. And then he goes on to say in 12 and 13, every male among you, talking about adults, when you now, uh, Abraham, all the adults, whether they're born in your house, whether they're bought as slaves, they need to be circumcised. And the thing about that is really cool is that people are brought in, whether they're bought into his household, whether they're of his line, they're being brought into this family, which I think is cool. And then, so in verse 13, uh, then he says, a servant who is born in your house. So he's, he's talking about uh, everybody in their house, all the males, servants, all that, everybody in your house. And then he makes the, the, the distinction in 14 that anybody who is not circumcised has rejected the covenant. I don't, I don't want that. I don't want to be part of that. So it's interesting that he's telling Abraham, go and do this very thing, but seems, it would seem that people still have free will. Hey, I don't want to get circumcised. Cool, you're not part of the covenant. So God is not making people, but he's telling Abraham, everybody who's part of your family needs to be circumcised. And then he goes on uh, in verse 15, and he says, Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed, I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she will be the mother of nations, and kings of peoples will come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said, said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And will Sarah, who is ninety, 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you, should call his name, you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you, and behold, I will bless him, and I will make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly, and he shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this season next year. And he finished talking with him, and God went up from Abraham. So there again, he, he changes uh, Sarai's name. There was, uh, seemed to me like there was some, some uh, static about what Sarai actually meant. Uh, I came to the conclusion that it's confusing and I don't know. But uh, Sarah means princess. So he changes her name to princess. And then uh, I will bless her and I will give you a son by her. So this is the son of the promise. And so it's, it's interesting that he says, I will give you a son uh, by her. And then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said with his heart, will a child be born of a man who is 100 years old? 
and Sarah, who's 90 years old. So it's interesting that Abraham believed. He seemed to see that, okay, I'm going to be the father of many nations, but he couldn't see that he and she were going to have a child together. So it's interesting that he's, he's got the belief. He still doesn't understand how that's going to happen through Sarah because common sense would tell you at 90 and 100, you're probably not going to be having kids, right? I mean, not, I mean from the physical standpoint. But um, God answers that and says, said to Abraham, uh, or Abraham then gives that, says that Ishmael may live before you. But then God reassures him and said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. And, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him. And so it's interesting, even before when we, when we said, Okay, look, that uh, Abraham is uh, going to be single-hearted or single-minded towards following God. He is... That doesn't mean he understands the details, but what I like is that as he worships God because he's fallen on his face and he's laughing with happiness, he still has the question, God is still faithful to explain to him this is how it's going to go. You're going to have a son son by Sarah, and he laughs and says, how's that going to happen? And then God is, then he uh, intercedes for Ishmael, and then God is clear. You're going to have a son by Sarah, and I'll establish my covenant for him. And so it's, so it's interesting how God bears with us in our confusion, even when, uh, which is nice, because even when we're following God as best we can, sometimes we just don't get it. And that's, I mean, I just felt like that was reassuring to me. That was one of the things that I was like, oh, I forgot that, I forgot that, you know, because when you look back and you see like uh, Hebrews 11 and that sort of stuff, and you see Abraham, oh, he had faith, he had all this faith, but... Uh, to see him wrestle through the day to day and God be patient and comforting to him was patient, uh, you know, was comforting to me just to know that, oh, as I struggle, this guy who had all this faith and it just talks about that in the end, it forgets about the day to day struggle. And that's how God's going to see us because ultimately he's going to forget about our day to day struggle or set that aside because we have faith in him and just remember that we had faith and worked out his will. So that's, uh, that's just cool. And so he tells him that Sarah's going to have a baby. And then he says, as for Ishmael, I've heard you. I've heard your prayer. Even though Ishmael is not the son of the promise, I've heard your prayer for your son Ishmael. And I'm going to make sure that he going forward uh, is, is going to be, he's going to multiply him. He's going to become the father of 12 princes. And he's going to be a great nation as well. But uh, as, as you look, look forward, there's, there's the, the difference here between the son of the promise Isaac, which God had from the beginning, and the son of the flesh, which is Ishmael, because Ishmael was not promised. Ishmael was Sarah and Abraham taking matters into their own hands, even though they believed they were still supposed to continue to wait until this time. So God is still making it clear that he's carrying forth uh, the ultimate covenant with the son of the promise, not the son of the flesh. That's an important distinction. Because he says in 21, I will uh, establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you. And God finished talking to him, and he went up from there. So it's, what's interesting ha that happens now in, in, uh, in verse 23, and he says, uh, Abraham took uh, Ishmael his son, and all the servants who were born in his house, and all who uh, were bought with his money, and every male among them, uh, and the, ma uh, the men of Abraham's household, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very same day God had said to him. 
Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And so it, it's interesting to me um, that when, when you talk about this, man, it's really coming down out there, huh? Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting when, when you talk about this. I would think that Abraham had to go back and explain to all the men in, in his tribe, hey, I had a conversation with God. Call me Abraham. Here's why. And he gave us a covenant, and he wants us to do this. So I think that the men in his household who were going to do this had probably seen Abraham exercise his faith before because I don't think uncircumcised adult men are just going to follow another guy into this ritual without having a high level of trust in him. It just doesn't seem like the thing that they would do. So, you know, before when he gathered his army and he fought all those guys, we talked about leadership. I think that God, that Abraham has shown, this is my opinion, that he's shown some leadership that these men would believe and follow him. And the other thing that I like about, as soon as God sends him to do that, he went that same day had a conversation with God. He didn't kick it around. He didn't say I have to pray about it for a while. He had the conversation with God, got up and went to getting right to it. And so uh, that's just cool that he just, he just obeyed immediately. I mean, I used to, used to tell my kids that uh, slow obedience is no obedience. And so you see Abraham doing that right there, right to it. And so then uh, he goes on to say he was 99 at that time. Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And that very same day, Abraham was circumcised uh, and Ishmael, his son, and the men of his household who were born in the house, uh, uh, who were born in the house or bought with money from a foreigner were all circumcised with him. So it's just cool that he, carry, he carries all that out. And so uh, the other thing is that... Uh, that I just found kind of interesting is that uh, what you'll see here is that uh, the baby's going to come a year from now and so uh, gestation is nine months so Isaac comes after he has uh, been circumcised. He believed circumcised then the pregnancy with Isaac so I just thought that that was just kind of a, a noteworthy little thing. So now we go to, on to chapter 18 and uh, it says the Lord, the Lord appeared to him, being Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, uh, while he was sitting at the tent of his door in the heat of the day. And he lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, three men were standing opposite him. And when he saw them, he ran, uh, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. And he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in your sight, please do not pass your servant by. Please let a little water be brought and wash, wash your feet and rest yourselves uh, under the tree. And I will bring you a piece of bread that you may refresh yourselves and that you may go on since you have visited your servant. And they said, do so as you have said. And Abraham hurried into the tent and said to Sarah, quickly, prepare three measures of flour and knead it and make bread and cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took... Uh, a tender choice calf and gave it to his servant and he hurried to prepare it and he took curds and milk uh, and the calf which he had prepared and placed it before them and he was standing by them under the tree as they ate. So as he starts there, it just kind of switches gears and says he, the, Lord appear, the Lord appeared to him. And so uh, 
my understanding is that during the heat of the day, people would work early and they'd work late. Heat of the day, they have a little siesta, right? So here's a hundred-year-old guy having a siesta by the uh, 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 entry of his tent, and he sees and he sees the Lord appear. And so uh, there was three of them. So uh, the consensus is that this is Jesus and two angels, and that. Uh, uh, he ran in, and so the first thing he does is he he gets up and uh, he saw them and he ran from the tent of the door and he bowed himself to the earth. So he sees him, gets up from his nap or just his rest and bows uh, bows to them and he says, "If I found favor in your sight, don't pass your servant by." So um, in this culture, hospitality is super important. If somebody comes to your house or your door, you want to make sure that you, you bring them in with great hospitality, that you treat them well, that you, you do all these things. So what Abraham is doing here is not necessarily out of culture, out of anything like that, but the first thing he realizes is that this is the Lord, and then he starts this hospitality. But the thing, the thing that I noticed uh, that he, uh, first thing he says, hey, bring some water so he can wash your feet. It doesn't say that Abraham washed his feet, but he, he has this, this foot washing thing, which, you know, Jesus did a foot washing thing. That's just really cool. And uh, so what he does then is he starts, uh, um, hey, hang around for a while so I can do this. And so they say we're going to stay. But the thing that I find interesting about this is so, so Abraham is a guy who seems to me like, you know, he had 300 servants that were trained to fight. So he must have had 300 servants available to do this stuff, right? And he doesn't just say, this servant, you do this, you do this, you do this. He actually is active. I mean, he asks Sarah to do this. He brings uh, a calf to be dressed to the servant, but he's active in it. He goes and he is participating. He's bringing other people into the service, but he's not just giving orders. You see him going to Sarah. You see him going to get uh, the choice calf and bringing it to, to whoever it is to dress it. And then he brings everything to him. And when you see in verse 8, he was standing by them under the tree. So the thing that I liked about this section is you see Abraham who could have had other people do the service. He was part of it. He brought other people into it, but he was actively serving the Lord in what he did. And he stood by them while they ate. Just imagine, uh, I think there's old English shows what it's uh, the uh, Downton Abbey where they have the guys that stand right by the table and if you need anything, they're off lickety-split to get it. That's what Abraham's doing that when he stood by them. He's waiting there like the butler or the whatever their title is. So he can serve them hand and foot as they need anything. So you see this man who's given a promise to God, still serving God, still having a heart of service. And I just think that that's really, really a cool thing that, that, that he did. He brought others with him, but he's doing the service. And so after they're eat, done eating, it would seem, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And she said, he says, they're in the tent. And, uh, I will surely return at this time next year, and behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the, at the tent door, which was behind them. So, um, so even though they're back then and all that sort of stuff, it would seem like uh, Sarah was um, doing what most people would do, just wonder what's happening out there. And so... Uh, Behind him now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced age, and Sarah was past childbirthing, childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have the pleasure uh, uh, 
shall I have pleasure in my Lord uh, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I indeed have a child when I'm old? And it's one of those things where you see, where you see Abraham laugh because he's like bowed in worship and he's laughing. Hey, this is going to happen. And he, doesn't and he doesn't necessarily understand how it's going to happen until God tells him. But she's laughing like, you know, that sarcastic laugh like, <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So she doesn't, she doesn't believe. And then uh, uh, and they said, uh, why did Sarah laugh? And uh, in verse 14, then he says, Okay, why did Sarah laugh? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you next time, uh, this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah, uh, Sarah, however, denied saying, I did not laugh and she was, because she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. So um, I think they just put that in there, keep everybody honest. But uh, the question, is anything too difficult for the Lord? I think that's an important question that he poses to Sarah because, Sarah, because obviously she doesn't understand. She doesn't laugh. Because, because it's, easy, uh, it's easy for us to see, to say, okay, look, we just read Genesis 1 uh, and 2, the creation of the earth. God spoke everything into creation. That's big. That's amazing. God can do anything. It's easy for us to say that, right? But when we look at the circumstances in our lives, sometimes we forget because we weren't there or just for whatever reason, our human nature, that we forget, hey, the thing, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And the, and the answer is no, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. But the challenge is really not just understanding that here, but knowing that in our hearts and understanding that it's not. I think that's where Sarah's at, so I don't think we should be too harsh on Sarah because I think any of us in this situation would have trouble believing that. I mean, just think about it this day and age. If a 100-year-old guy and a 90-year-old woman said we're having a kid, you'd be like, okay, we're calling the Guinness Book of World Records. We're calling Ripley something because it just doesn't seem how it should be. Nothing is too, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. So... Um, then, it, then it just moves on, and the men rose up from the door after they had that uncomfortable conversation, and they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation? And in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed, for I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. So the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is, in, has indeed, uh, is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done, uh, done entirely according to its outcry, which has come to me. And if not, I will know. And so uh, they get up after their meal, their conversation with um, Ab uh, Abraham and Sarah, and they're, uh, they're headed out. They're looking down towards Sodom and Gomorrah. And God says, talking to the two guys, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And I, I think this is not recorded because God is like, 
uh, conversing with himself or confused. He says it so we would have record of it so we can understand what he's doing here. It, because, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since he's part of this covenant that I have, since we have this covenant relationship, should I allow him to, to come in on this and understand what I'm going to do? Because I've chosen him, my commandments for his children, his doing righteousness in the Lord. Uh, may I, uh, what I've spoken about him. So God is saying, hey, I, I, am gonna, I have a relationship with this man, so I'm going to let him in on what I'm going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah here. So then he says, so then the Lord goes from this kind of conversation with himself or this uh, just thing, his, his narrative, and he says, the Lord said, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. Sin is grave. And I will go down and see if they have done it entirely to its, uh, according to its outcry that's come to me. And if it is, I'll know. So again, God knows what's going to go on. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He, he already knows what's going on. But he's speaking this in terms that Abraham will understand. And so he's going down to take a look at it. And a lot of this is just for, uh, for us to understand how God works in our lives and that sort of thing. Uh, I think as we go forward, the other thing to remember is that uh, when uh, Abraham, uh, Abraham's already saved the, the kings of Sodom in this plane from the other kings, four kings against five. And so they've already had interaction with who Abraham is, his God. They've had interaction with the thought that Abraham walked away from the spoils of uh, taking all the riches with them. So they're not uh, totally unfamiliar with Abraham or his God. And so um, uh, what happens then is uh, God says this to Abraham. Then 22, the men turned away from there and went down towards Sodom while Abraham was still standing before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you indeed sweep away, uh, sweep it away and not spare uh, the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from you, shall you not judge, uh, shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? And then the Lord said, If I find fifty righteous within the city, I will spare the whole place on their account. And I think this is really neat too, because God decides to talk to Abraham about this, and it says that God, God and Abraham are facing each other. Abraham is before God. And he's not going to go through this questioning series like second-guessing God, but he's, he's pleading a case to God. And I think that it's interesting that he also, um, not that God needs the reminder, but God lets us talk. I mean, if you, have a, if you have a kid and you already know something and the child is telling you that, you're not going to say, well, I already know that, right? God doesn't reply, but... Hey, Abraham says, I know that you're just. The law is just and it demands justice. But uh, he asked him, shall not the judge of the earth deal justly? Because should you treat the righteous and the wicked alone? I don't feel like God needs that reminder. I feel like God is allowing Abraham to speak to him and, t and tell 
give Abraham, give his understanding of what God's justice is and have this conversation with him. And so he's standing face to face with him, has this and says, hey, are you going to judge the wicked, uh, uh, the wicked and the righteous together? And so the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous in the city, I'll spare the whole place on their account. So we know that God is hearing Abraham. So Abraham continues on with, with his discourse with God. And see, here's, here's how it goes. And Abraham replied, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I'm dust and ashes. And the one thing about the way Abraham is speaking to God, there's a very, uh, there's a very um, humble tone. I'm just but dust and ashes. I'm, I'm, I'm a carbon life form. I'm talking to you. So he's not coming to God in boldness saying this is what you should do. He's pleading and he's interceding and he's got the right heart when he does it. And so in verse 28 he says, the 50 righteous are lacking five. Will you destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy the whole city if I find 45 there. And he spoke to him yet again and say, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on the account of 40. And then he said, O my Lord, do not be angry. I shall speak. Suppose that 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Then he said to the Lord, Now behold, I have adventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 uh, 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on the account of 20. And then he said, O my Lord, do not be angry. I shall speak only, uh, only this once, but suppose there are 10 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on the account of 10. And as soon as he had finished speaking, Abraham, speaking to Abraham, the Lord departed and Abraham returned to his place. So we know that Lot is Abraham's nephew and Lot is in Sodom. So I think it's important to note that, that, uh, in his humbleness here, Abraham is interceding for Lot and his family specifically. But the other thing is, uh, I think he's interceding for other people. And the reason why I think that is because Abraham could have just said, Lord, Lot and his family are there. Will you spare? Will you spare Sodom? And the Lord would have answered in one way or the other. But Abraham doesn't know you would assume what Lot's family is up to, if Lot is evangelizing, how many people know. So Abraham also in this, it would seem to me, isn't just asking for Lot and his family. He's asking for intercession for whoever may be saved. And he's hoping that there's enough in there, I would think, Abraham, that, hey, if he knows it's going to be destroyed, that anybody who doesn't know the Lord yet would get saved. He's interceding on behalf of Lot and his family first, but I think he's also interceding for whoever may come to believe. That's my personal opinion. I can't, I can't say that, but based on the way he starts to ask the question, instead of just being humble and going, say, will you save Lot and his family? He starts with a number and works it down because he wants to make sure. And I, I think in his mind, he's probably thinking that there's got to be at least 10 in, in Lot's family. So uh, it, it's, just, it's just, again, reassuring that... Uh, when Abraham comes to the Lord, he has this conversation. The Lord hears him, participates with him, and meets him where he's at. 
And it's the same for us. When, when we pray, when like Abraham, we intercede for other people, that God hears us. And, and, and as you see, see Sodom and Gomorrah play out, uh, you'll see that uh, God is true to his word. And that uh, we should just bear that in mind, that God is always true to his word. When we intercede for people, however that God has that uh, played out, he does. And just be reminded that God had a specific covenant for Abraham and the children of Israel, and he's got covenants for us too. When you, when, when you hear the gospel, when you confess that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And you believe in the resurrection. One of the resurrection, the resurrection is one of the things that he's promised to us. That's that's part of the life that we have. And there's also other things that I see, think clearly in Scripture, like in, in the Gospel of John, he says, uh, I, "I'll never leave you and forsake you. I'll send you the Spirit." Those things are very clear to us. And so, just like Abraham, God has given us things that he's promised us to help us walk our life and to help us. Um, look forward to uh, heaven and the resurrection. So take those things with you this week. Uh, enjoy the 4th of July, and we will see you here again on Sunday. Amen? Father God, I just uh, thank you for your word. Lord, I uh, thank you for um, uh, th- this day. Lord, uh, as I hear the rain, I'm thankful that I don't have to water my grass tonight. <laughs> uh, and also thankful for the warm weather. Lord, I just pray that... Uh, uh, tomorrow, as we uh, celebrate uh, Independence Day, Lord, that we would just take a, a few minutes and just be thankful to you that we do live in this country, uh, having been in uh, several uh, several other countries, that, uh, Lord, we are blessed here, and uh, it is truly a blessing to be able to be here, to meet in public, that we'd be thankful for that, Lord, that we'd have the opportunity to fellowship and enjoy time with family. Lord, uh, for any of those who are doing fireworks, pray that uh, you would provide safety, Uh, and make sure everybody comes back uh, on Sunday with uh, all their fingers, eyes, uh, and and hearing. And uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.